Is your life predestined or do you have real choice? There's so much talk about the signs, the zodiac. Do they control our lives? Is it a myth? Is there anything to those astrological signs? This is what we will be discussing in the zodiac. Is my life predestined? Hi, Simon Jacobson here. We will be talking about the Zodiac. Is my life predestined? This program is dedicated in memory of Miriam Bat Leia, dedicated by Hilary Bar Markowitz. One of the big questions that people ask all the time, but especially nowadays when we don't have that much control over our schedules. And many of us have been upended. So that question is, do I have choice over my destiny? Or is my life predestined? Is there some invisible script that will determine everything that will happen to me? And can I do anything about it? Often, the context of this question is around the astrological signs, what we call the zodiac. Each of us born different time of the year. And you see how, I don't want to say the word popular, but how all pervasive talk about the signs. Many people will not date someone if they come from the wrong sign. They make big decisions in life based on their own sign and the people they interact with. Is this based on anything real? Is it just some myth? Is it superstition? Very important questions. And as I said, especially today, you know, it's one thing when everything seemed to be going smoothly, you could at least have the illusion that you're in control. I have my schedule to work or to work, my vacation plans, summer plans, my children are going to school or to summer camp. The economy humming along. Much of life seemed to be pretty stable. In truth, <laughs> let's be honest, no matter when we're living and whatever time it is, you don't need a pandemic to know much about life is not up to us. You know, suddenly, God forbid, the loss of a loved one. Illness, health. How long we will live? Why were we born now and not 100 years earlier or 100 years later? All these things no one ever asked or consulted us. Who we ultimately destined to marry. What kind of family we will bring up. Will we be wealthy or poor? Will we be tall or short? Blue-eyed or brown-eyed? I mean, the list goes on that there's so many factors in life that are not up to us. Or... Do we have some say and do we have some choice? 
I believe these questions we all have at certain times and probably all the time. And it's critical to really get to the bottom of it, to try to understand it, because this isn't just a theoretical question. This is about our everyday choices. If we feel a certain type of fatalism or resignation, that no matter what I do will not make a difference, so of course it's going to inform and affect our choices. Why would I go make a big choice? Why would I go pay a price if it doesn't make a difference, if it's all been predestined anyway? If it's meant to be, it will be, and if it's not meant to be, it won't be. What difference does my effort make, my initiative? So what are we just going through motions to make ourselves feel good, feel productive, feel motivated? So you see, the questions are not just theoretical. They impact actually every second of our lives and every decision we make. The potency, the import, the importance of each choice we make. So let's discuss this, hopefully in some thorough fashion, as much as time allows. And I'm going to be citing sources primarily from mystical teachings, which obviously address the issue of the constellations, of the stars, of the signs, of the zodiac, the horoscope, and our role in it all. So let's begin with one fundamental principle. And this is a principle based on the approach that I use, the methodology based on Torah thought, but especially the spiritual dimension of that thought. And that is that life matters. Popular line you may have heard from me many times, I use it in Torah Meaning for Life. Birth is God saying you matter. Life matters. You and I are indispensable. When I say you and I, I mean every person on this earth. Because we were put here. We're not here by accident. We're put here with a unique and particular calling and mission. And as our mission in life is to discover that mission and actualize it. And improve and refine and elevate the corner of the world in which we were placed. This is an axiom. I call it an axiom. Because you, you could say, one second, how do you know that's true? Maybe that's not the case. Obviously, every discussion has to begin with some axioms. So I'm stating it. If you do indeed have a question whether the basis of this axiom, that it's a good question, and it deserves its own program and class. And I assure you that if you ask me this question, I will address it. I have already addressed it. You can go to MeaningfulLife.com and find plenty of material on this topic. But for a conversation to be meaningful and productive, let's, I'm assuming this, this assumption is in place. Why is it so vital? Because if that's indeed the case, then to state that we are puppets or robots just playing out a script, a predetermined script, makes absolutely no sense. Why would anyone do that? Who would want to be entertained by a puppet? The puppeteer is entertained by a puppet that he is essentially controlling every move that person makes. So, as Judaism teaches, and I say, it, though it's coming from Judaism, it's a universal message for all of us. So it's not a Jewish message, it's a universal message. That life has purpose, and we play a role in the unfolding drama of our lives and our destiny. And free will is an absolute integral part of life. Which means, no, there's no predestined course for life. 
That's a vital piece to begin with. And we do have free will, so when we have a choice, when you meet somebody, you have the choice, are you going to be nice or are you going to be not nice to that person? I'm putting it in very simplistic terms. I mean, the cynics quote Isaac Bashevar Singer saying we have no, we must believe in free will, we have no choice. Okay. <laughs> that uh, circular uh, thinking. But on a serious note, we have absolute choice. But then comes the obvious question. One second, we have choice. I didn't choose which family to be born into, whether it was a dysfunctional family or a functional family. I didn't choose whether I'm going to be poor or wealthy or grow up in poor or wealthy, whether I'll have a good education or bad education. And so many of my features, my personality, I didn't create them. I'm a, I'm a result of a combination of the genetic makeup of my parents, grandparents and great-grandparents. And even the upbringing. Some people are born into a home of atheists, some in the home of socialists, some in the home of communists, some in the home of Democrats, Republicans, some people of faith and religion, different religions, no religion. All the biggest events in my life happened in my formative years before I was asked what school to go to. So by the time I'm even able to exercise free will, let's assume, I'm asking now the devil's advocate question, let's assume there's free will, so many choices were made for me. And I have to contend with that. Peer pressure, parental pressure, my own subjective inclinations, personality. Some things are acquired. Some things are inherent. We don't begin with a clean slate, let's say at 18 years old or 15 years old or 20 years old and say, okay, now, clean slate, you control your destiny. So even if there is free will, and I'm saying even, I am absolutely going with that premise here, or else this discussion will not have any meaning. But there's so many other factors that weren't destined, predestined. A script that was written. All the props of my life that are not just externals and superficial elements, they're all part and parcel of that shaped me. Look, somebody growing up in a very dysfunctional home where there was no love, criticized, invalidated, abused, of course they're going to have unique challenges that someone who grew up in a beautiful, loving, nurturing home doesn't have. So how could you tell me it's not predestined? Or at least not in my control? So here's the key distinction, my friends. We are all given a certain set of cards. We're all dealt with certain circumstances. The question is, are we a victim of those circumstances? Are we a product of those circumstances? Or we have the ability to transcend them and harness them and direct them toward productive ends. Or are we victims and we have no control? So in other words, your environment you may have no control over, but you have a control of how you're going to deal with it. Let's say a person grew up in the, using the example of a very dysfunctional environment. Does that mean that they are destined now to be dysfunctional? Absolutely not. Which brings me to axiom number two. I say axiom not because it's irrational. Axiom because I don't want to spend an hour making the case for it. What is that axiom? It's an outgrowth of purpose, design, and free will. And that is, there's no such thing as hopeless. There's no such thing as faithful, as, as uh, fatalistic. There are circumstances. There are challenging circumstances. But it's not hopeless. 
because we have all the tools and resources we need to deal with any given challenge. Look, you find the opposite. Some people growing up in circumstances, really trying hard circumstances, dysfunctionality, corruption, abuse, poverty. I'm just using all the, just I'll make the worst case scenario. I'm no worst case, but the bad scenario. No education, no role models and so on. And you see people who grew up, fought their circumstances, transcended them, became refined, beautiful human beings. Others growing up with all privileges, good homes, good education, comfort, wealth, and sometimes turn into monsters. So we see circumstances don't shape and define us. They challenge us. And they can either be turned into forces, yes, that control and victimize us if we allow that, or they become opportunities for growth. So the question now is how do we balance the two? What are the things that are predetermined, so to speak, and what are the things that are not determined, that are determined by our choices? So this takes us back into the essential nature of who we are. If we are just a product of natural events, you know, let's say take a stone. A stone can never become a bird. And a bird is not going to become a, uh, a, a buffalo. And a buffalo is not becoming a human being. These are inherent and in, 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 in inherent traits that define the structure of a certain species or a creature among that species. And we don't even think about it. I mean, can technology manipulate to some extent? But there are boundaries, there are parameters. Fire is not water. Can we manipulate energies today, especially on a subatomic level? Perhaps. But the bottom line is, there are structures. The sun is not the moon. The winter is not the summer. And on and on and on. These are predetermined factors. They're not up to us. Land and sea. Heaven and earth. I mean, on and on. The, all the structures and parameters we're familiar with. Does that mean we are trapped in them? Or that means that they exist? Yes, we live in a existent, a deterministic universe. We throw up an apple to the, uh, to the, you throw it up, it'll fall to the ground. The billiard ball effect, billiard ball effect, Newtonian physics, cause and effect. You hit a ball always the same time, same direction, same speed, the same angle. It will always have the same effect unless there's a variation in the cause. But we also know in quantum mechanics about indeterminism which of course is a revelation of the last uh, century or so. That doesn't contradict determinism. I mean, there's so many things that we know, we know exactly what second the sun is going to rise tomorrow morning. And for that week, in a week from now, or in a year from now, or a century from now. There are determined factors. But that should never be confused with the choices we make around those determined factors. Yes, you have no choice. You cannot jump up with their own strengths, 20 feet in the air. 50 feet in the air, let's just say. You cannot fly like a bird, a human being. But listen, we created airplanes. That doesn't mean we fly, but we've found a way to travel quicker. My point is that the deterministic universe does not, is not synonymous with no choice. 
Because what we do with those determined factors is the key to everything. So let's look about who we are. So we are human beings, yes, created with particular features. You need to eat, you need to drink, you need to sleep, you need love, you need shelter. We have needs. And if you don't fill those needs, they can be life-threatening or worse. We know that. There's certain things you can't do. It's not like anything you want. But is that freedom? You, can't, they, they, you just can't, you can't do everything? Or freedom is that what you do is not imposed upon you. I know people, all well, today travel is limited, but billions of miles, frequent flyer miles, travel everywhere. But they're not free people. They're running. And I know people who I've seen who can sit on a Shabbat under a talit, under a prayer shawl, for hours pray, and they're traveling spiritually places that they have no frequent flyers. It's not physical travel, it's spiritual, psychological. Now their, their being is always on the move. And some people, it's the fact that their physical mobility doesn't mean that they're psychologically free. Freedom is not about how many choices you have. Freedom is whether when you do something, is it imposed upon you by any outside force. And this is the key. Since we have a soul, and this leads me to the third point, after the one of design and purpose and mission, and secondly, that we have all the resources we need, point number three, you have a soul. And your soul is a piece of divine, of the divine. In the words of the Bible, you were created in the divine image. And as such, something divine is not trapped by anything that is causal, meaning cause and effect. It can be placed there. A transcendent soul can be placed on it, and it is. That's when we're conceived and born. You come into a body that has needs. But the soul always retains an element that is beyond cause and effect and beyond circumstances. It's impacted by circumstances, and it could be shaped by circumstances, and it is shaped. But at the end of the day, there's something about it that's free of these circumstances, and we need to access that. So if you look at life that way, that we're not just another natural product. We're not just like an apple growing on a tree does not have that type of soul. It also has. The mystics explain, especially the, the Rizal, Isaac Luria, that an apple and a, a, a stone, a mineral and a vegetable and an animal, everything has a vivifying divine energy, just like everything has subatomic particles that are pulsating within it. But there are different types of souls. The soul of an apple will never make it into an orange, just like the soul of a human being will not turn us into, uh, into, a, uh, into a, 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 a caterpillar, just <laughs> as an example. But there's something deeper. An apple is never meant to transcend its circumstances. It's meant to be an apple, just like an orange is meant to be an orange, just like an elephant is an elephant and a tiger is a tiger. The human being is endowed with a divine element in the spirit. What does that mean? That we have the ability to transcend our circumstances. Without that, life has really no purpose. Then we become those robots and puppets and just machines that are just following a program. So everything in this universe has a program, whether this the sun and the moon, the heavens and the earth, everything is programmed. And it's meant to be that way and predictable and deterministic except one entity, the human being. The human being has a divine soul, a transcendent soul, that allows it to transcend its natural circumstances. So yes, 
you don't have a choice whether you're going to have red hair or blue hair or uh, no blue red hair or, or brown hair or blonde hair. I'm not talking about whether you can dye it. I'm talking about the natural. You have no choice whether you'll be taller or shorter or all the other factors I mentioned. But the soul allows you the choice. How are you going to deal with that? Look, let's talk about the pandemic. This pandemic has caused quarantine and some people to become deeply depressed and worse. Yes, suicide and so people I know who given up and this was the, they were already in difficult situation and this was the final straw. But then I see people, so though they're, yes, their lives are upended, schedules are disrupted, so much has changed, some people lost their jobs and have dug deeper and found resources. What's the difference between these two people? Two people suffer the same way. So you could say some people have, have more inner strengths or some people access their deeper strengths. That's the answer. We all have those deeper strengths. Circumstances, difficult ones, can sometimes keep us trapped. But that does not mean it's determined that way. We always have recourse. And it doesn't always mean you can find it yourself. Sometimes you have to reach out to others to help you. We'll talk about that more as we go away with a call to action. But to go back to the point is the soul is that transcendent force inside of you that is not bound quite the same way by the natural circumstances, circumstances, the deterministic, the determined circumstances of our lives. What does that mean, not bound completely? Obviously, even though the soul maybe can fly and soar, spiritually speaking, maybe, you could, maybe the soul can jump up 50 feet or more, but it's bound to the body. So, of course, the soul has to deal with that. It's not on its own. But there's something that we retain, that the soul retains its spiritual transcendent nature. And that's where we can transcend our circumstances. So if you were to, to put it in different terms, if you were to follow your body-like clockwork mechanics, it's pretty much a, um, a predetermined conclusion. We may not know what that conclusion is, but you're basically following. You know, just like your body at some point gets tired, has to go to sleep. And the same thing, you get hungry, you need to eat. It is the soul that introduces a dimension of, we'll call it adventure even, of spontaneity, of going beyond your schedule and pre-planned way of looking at things. And everybody has it, not just people who you'll say, you know what, okay, there's some people who are free-spirited, they just have that energy going, spontaneous. There are other people that are very much very square. Even squares have a soul. Yes, <laughs> maybe a revelation. Everybody has a soul, and that soul allows you to do things that go beyond your nature. When it comes to, let's call it predator and prey in the wild, a lion, a tiger, a predator does not have choice. It's not like Oh, you know what? Maybe I'll fast today because it's Yom Kippur. It gets hungry. Its natural instincts, without any choice, will come into play and will go for a hunt until it satisfies those needs. And then it won't go. Once it's full, it's not going to overeat. That's why you don't have animals on diets. It's exactly as meant to be. When that animal goes into heat or needs to breed, same thing. And when they don't eat too, it won't be. With human beings, that's not the case. Yes, you can choose to fast for an entire day. 
It's not just survival of the fittest. Are we wired to, be, to hurt another person? Why? Because we have the selfish gene using Richard Dawkins' title? Or because we've evolved into places because basically natural selection is based on survival of the fittest, of outdoing someone else? Or do we have the ability to really rise up and say, you know what, someone is needy. Even if I gain nothing from it, I'm going to help that person. I know some evolutionary biologists will argue that too is part of what, what, uh, what we need. But I go with that premise that we are capable of acts of virtue. And two people in the same circumstances, one turned into a monster who turned in their own family, let's say Kapos and others during the Nazis, and others gave their life before allowing another life to be compromised. We have that capacity to go against even self-interest. The human, the animal kingdom, the vegetable and the mineral cannot do that because they're not meant to do that. That's why we don't prosecute them. It's not criminal. They're meant to follow those guidelines. It is the human that has the capacity to choose a life of virtue despite circumstances. There are people who grew up in poverty, became the most beautiful people. Others in poverty became miserable, criminal even. Others grew up in wealth, became beautiful people. And others grew up in wealth, became spoiled brats. Sense of entitlement, most disgusting, obnoxious people that, on the planet. What is that? Yes, you could say it's part of the upbringing, what they saw around them. Of course all these factors are factors. But there's always the spark of the soul that remains bright and shining. Let's call it maybe not bright and shining, but it's the pilot flame always burning, I should say. And when you fan those flames and access it, you transcend circumstances. So let's now go back to the zodiac. What about the signs? So to say it's pure myth, no. We see, we see in the Torah, we see especially in mystical teachings, the signs, there's the, they're called the mazel. Say mazel of mazel. There are, there are months like the month of Adar is called the mazel of, um, of the, the fish. Consider the mazel of joy. The mazel of Leo, which is the month of Av, Aryeh, is a month of sadness. We'll soon be coming to the month of Elul, which is Virgo, the month of love, compassion. So the concept exists. It's not just mythology. It exists in Jewish Torah sources. And yet it also says, do not be bound by these mazal. Do not define yourself by them. You can transcend them. As a matter of fact, it says about Abraham that a stage in, at a stage in his life, he transcended these signs. So how do we understand that? We understand it as follows. The signs are called predispositions. You're born in a certain month, in a certain time. There's a predisposition. It could be a personality type, a character type. Just like we have genetic elements from our parents. Or we have other factors in life that are acquired. So acquired is maybe another discussion, but it's also part of the equation. So we have predispositions. There's some people who have a very, they're very giving. There are others that are far more, have much more discretion. And I don't mean it's based on education. There's some people more cerebral, the philosophical type. There are some people much more in the emotional. And all the other characteristics and attributes 
that are attributed to different signs. All that is, is predisposition. Which means, this is the predisposition you have. What's going to happen now? What you're going to do with it? You could either act out on it in a negative way. You could act out on it in a positive way. That's up to you, how you harness it. Just because someone, let's say, is, is, is born in the month that is a sadder month, a month that has certain particular personality, doesn't mean that they're trapped or that they're predestined to follow that approach. There's an interesting Talmud. It talks about the Mazel of Madim, Mars. Madim, I believe, in... Uh, I'm trying to think what it is in the English. I don't remember right now. But Mazel Madim says someone that's born in the Mazel of Madim is going to be aggressive. It's an aggressive personality. And the Talmud says something interesting. They could either end up being a criminal, a murderer, aggression, bloodletting, it's connected to letting blood, or they can become someone that slaughters meat, which also uh, releases blood, but for the purpose of helping people sustain their lives. Food. Just as an example. So an aggressive personality does not mean that you have to be a bad person, that you have to step on others or hurt others. Aggressive personality, when harnessed properly, you use the aggression with discretion in the right times, where sometimes you need to be forceful, where you need to be driven, where someone else will be passive. You're ready to stand up for a cause, fight for a value. Obviously, tempered properly. Some of you may be familiar with um, my book, The Spiritual Guide to Counting the Omer. So we go through there the seven emotions. Love, discipline, compassion, ambition, determination, ambition, Humility or yielding, bonding and dignity. Each of these seven can be used in two different directions. Love and kindness, but love and kindness is beautiful. But if you have no limits, you can spoil or even hurt somebody. You can actually suffocate someone with love. It needs to be measured. Rain has to fall in raindrops. So it should be absorbed by the ground. It can't just come down as buckets or else it will flood the fields. Discipline is, again, can be used both directions. A disciplined person can create tempering, direction, discretion. But if discipline is not mixed with love and directed toward the right ends, what happens? It can become severe. It can be judgmentalism. And worse, we see how the parents, parents or educators who are just disciplinarians and there's no compassion. And the same with compassion and the same thing with determination and ambition. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'll just mention a few more. You can be very driven and ambitious and determined and step on everybody. Or determination can be, as I said, harnessed to the proper direction and it's important to have. Same thing with humility and yielding. That's a very beautiful quality, but sometimes you shouldn't be yielding. So it's all about bringing together the proper attributes and features in a balanced way. Harnessing it, and that's in our control. When it comes to features of, human, of animals, those that are aggressive are aggressive. You can't expect and say, you know what, why don't you work on yourself and refine yourself and don't be so aggressive today or in general. 
When, we get, when a human being gets angry, yes, you're expected to discipline yourself and to figure out why you're angry, control it, self-control, a whole other dimensions. You have inherent self-control. The reflective mind can control an impulsive emotion. That doesn't mean you don't have the emotion. The predisposition is there. Some people just have a more aggressive nature. Some people may even have a more angry nature, a more stingy nature. Obviously, if it's acquired, you definitely can expect to, to, be, to, to work with it. But even if it's inherent, even if it's coming from a sign. So it's a very interesting balance. It's basically we're placed, let's visualize this. We're placed in an environment that has all kinds of factors. In the summer, it's hot. In the winter, it's cold. What you're going to do with it is the question. Of course, there are predetermined factors in life. So much of it is predetermined, but not what you're going to do, how you're going to behave. How will you navigate? People say, if everything was going well in my life, I would be the best person. That's not how it works. Life is filled with vicissitudes and changes and so on. Good people are good people no matter what's going on. Someone will say, when I have a lot of money, I have a few billion dollars, I'll start being charitable. Tell me something. You think charity begins once you have a lot of money? A charitable person is a charitable person even if they have very little. They're giving. Can they give billions? No, they simply can't because technically that's their, that's not, that it's so far been determined for them that they won't be able to. But to be a charitable person is not determined. That's something you can be charitable. Even when you have less. So give less. But you give. You're a giving person. I've talked many times about the difference between doing good things and being a good person. Doing good things is beautiful. Being a good person is something that you work toward. And it really becomes part of your personality. So the zodiac is a very real, a real reality, just like the seasons are real. Just like diversity of personality types and characteristics are real. But they're not predestined. They're not predetermined. They are conditions in life. It's like riding on a road. And sometimes it'll be bumpy. And sometimes there'll be a twist. And sometimes a turn. But you know how to navigate. That is not predetermined, how you will navigate. And it's very freeing, I would say, liberating to know that. To know my life. Yes, there are many factors that are going to be placed in my life. But I have the ability to determine how to navigate. It's extremely liberating, empowering. Now, some people I know, they actually don't like this approach. They, they, they feel it's much easier to just say it's all predetermined, therefore, whatever I would have done wouldn't have made a difference. Essentially eliminating any consequences of their choices. That's how I am. I'm a hot-blooded guy, and therefore I just can't be committed in a monogamous relationship, and that's that. Yeah, of course it's an easier cop-out. That way you're not responsible. I'll try my best, is what people say. No, your best, your soul, is much more than your best. Your soul is, allows you to really be a greater person. So though, yes, we have personality types and definitely there are people who have different characteristics and different leanings and dispositions and predispositions, but there's so much of life, the most important part, whether you'll be a loving person, whether you'll be a giving person, whether you'll be focused toward higher purpose, you think that's a predisposition? No, that's a choice. Do we have challenges? Some of us who are not exposed to people who lived mission-driven lives, 
Of course, that's the challenges you've never had a role model. But let's not for a moment confuse that with your ability to begin where you are right now. And I find that as the greatest statement of human dignity. I can tell you, I've spoken to many people, counsel people. Very often I deal with a person who's dealt with a very, very sad deck of cards, very difficult life. And of course your heart goes out to that person. My heart goes out to them, compassionate, try to be kind. But then there's two options. I can just be kind and compassionate and cry with him or her, empathize, explain, even justify, find excuses for certain behaviors because of the, the, the sad circumstances this person had to deal with. You know, and, and often it's justified. The person really went through very difficult times. But if you stop right there, you may think you're doing a justice to that person. You're doing justice to that person, right? Because you've been compassionate, understanding, sensitive. Many people were not sensitive to that individual. Did not understand their circumstances. But that's not called being, being kind. If you stop there. It's good till that point is the first step. Then comes the second step, which I would call even a deeper love and care. Because I believe in you, because I believe that had you had not had these circumstances, you would have had so many more opportunities. And I still believe you have them. And no matter what happened to you, you have not been shaped by them, or defined by them, I should say. Shaped to some extent, but not defined. I believe in you, and my love for you tell, dictates that you, that you should have greater expectations of yourself as I have for you. Not to negate the challenges. It goes hand in hand. We fully understand. But you don't want to stop and say, okay, too bad. You're damaged goods. You were hurt. Therefore, you can't really be expected to love someone or trust someone or someone trust you. This is your destiny. That's not doing a service to the person. That's not respecting their majestic soul that states that together with the sensitivity, I absolutely keep repeating that because the people who are insensitive and just say, I expect more of you and that's it. Let's, not even, let's ignore your circumstances. No, that's equally cruel. So cruelty can be either you completely show no compassion or cruelty can be that only compassion and no expectations. No, your soul can soar to places you don't even imagine. You have such so much enormous potential, you don't know about it yet. And it's my role as an outsider, objective person, looking at you. I see, look how much you have. And not only that, you've developed deeper levels of sensitivity and awareness and acute, almost antennae, the sensitivity people have who have been hurt. So you can understand others that have been hurt like you. And you can actually turn that knowledge and that experience into deeper forms of love. Those that never experienced that will never have that profound appreciation. You who were deprived of love, deprived of validation, can come to appreciate it much more and teach others. Not through words, through your hard-earned experience. You've been through the fire. That is when you really are respecting that person. Not just that respecting their pain and their loss, but also respecting their potential and their great destiny that lies in their hands if they allow it to. So yes, there is 
plenty in life that's predetermined and predestined, but not the most important things, the things of how we will navigate, how loving you will be, how kind you will be, how you will turn your life no matter what happened to your life. Either way, because a life of privilege is just equally challenging as a life of no privilege. To turn that into becoming a true ambassador of light, to carry and fulfill the mission that you were charged with. Each of us an indispensable divine mission. To not be part of the problem, but part of the solution. To not be part of the predetermined factors, the predispositions, the structure, the clockwork. That's in place. Your job is to come into that structure and introduce that which transcends structure. Bring in the poetry, the music, the art, the soul, the spirit, the love. Transcendence. Transcendence. You and I, every one of us, has that capacity. And I will say today, months that we've been going through the COVID-19 pandemic, and all the forces that it has unleashed, that for many are demoralizing, destabilizing, disorienting, disillusioning, a lot of disses, dissing us off, yet at the same time is an opportunity to dig deeper and find that transcendent spark. Yes, that spark. That when you fan it, it can become a big flame where you rise above. This doesn't mean we're not aware of what's happening. And obviously we're sensitive. We're not being cocky and we're not being frivolous or dismissive. But we transcend. The human spirit becomes something that we can look back at and say, wow, look what we were capable of and look what we achieved. Imagine that's the lesson we should be telling ourselves, our children, everyone we have influence, we have relationship with. It's a powerful, powerful message and lesson. So, yes, there's a zodiac and there are stars and there are signs, but then there's you. And you are stronger and more powerful than all the factors that have shaped, that have been the circumstances that have been part of our lives, that are important part of our lives. And yet we have the ability to travel beyond and actually elevate the whole clockwork and structure of this existence to a deeper transcendent place and join the two, transcendence and imminence. Existence and that which is beyond existence. May everybody be blessed to access that transcendent part of yourself. This has been Simon Jacobson. Meaningful Life Center, our website, MeaningfulLife.com, filled with resources, a spiritual health center that offers empowering tools to deal with every situation, including what we're going through now. We have a special section where we every day literally update with new materials, videos, short programs, written materials, podcasts, and the different social media platforms we have a calendar right on our homepage, MeaningfulLife.com, and you can see all the events that are coming up and the topics, really covering the entire spectrum. So please take advantage of it and partner with us. We're actually now coming to the end of a Meaningful Lifeline fundraising campaign, asking you to partner with us in this journey, in this effort, to partner with us to, to continue creating and expanding these resources reaching more people. And, of course, that goes hand-in-hand hand with sharing 
and liking. And if you like what you've heard here, please share with your friends, associates, family. And we, I and we always welcome your feedback, your thoughts, your suggestions. Be well, stay well. And we're here every Wednesday. This is a Wednesday, 8.30, called Global Masterclass. It's then archived, so you can see it and view it anytime. Also download it. Again, MP3s, podcasts, and all the different uh, platforms. Be well. Be blessed. Thank you very much. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.